everyone. This is Jay Alejandro with the Creative Drive Podcast, the short podcast to showcase and feature writers from all walks of life, no matter where they are in the world. Today, we feature the work of Lee Anderson. Lee has written short stories and essays for a multitude of small and large press publications, including Fiction International and the Miami Herald. He also wrote and staged two one-act plays in New York City, Supper's Ready and Little America. He's the author of the shocking horror novel, What Happened at Sisters Creek, and the critically acclaimed short story collection, Dark Lords of the Trailer Park. Lee lives in Brooklyn, New York, with his wife and Calico. And now, a few stories by Lee Anderson. Eleven Lonely Intellectuals Number one, Sam. Sam is a girl. She plays bass guitar in a punk band named Tinkerbell Smegma, but the name of the band is by far the most interesting thing about them. Number two, Graham. He thinks of himself as Jesus Christ and Jim Morrison combined into one person with some Nietzsche thrown in. He thinks this even though his parents are nice people who give him as much love as they know how. Number three, Stephanie. She has a habit of adopting the opposing stance to nearly anything anyone else says, figuring smart people are the ones who always disagree. She frequently enjoys raging against the injustices of the world from her 33rd floor luxury high-rise apartment. It has a stunning view of the Hudson River. Cinematic, even. Number four, Tommy. He plays with a cigarette he always carries but never lights. He'll stand with the cigarette on a table, holding the bottom of it, then sliding two fingers up the side until reaching the top. He flips the cigarette upside down before starting over. Number five, Tina. Today's her birthday, but she's too bashful to tell anyone. She hates that kind of attention. She owns six cats and would own more if living space allowed it. A year ago, Tina Small Press published a novel titled Like Asking Questions in a Letter. It received glowing reviews. Her family and friends bought it. Her sister is convinced one of the characters is based on her and can't help but feel a little wounded by her literary portrayal. Number 6. Weiwei. She can't stop thinking about her boyfriend back in Shenzhen. They Skyped last night, and she could have sworn she saw a blue bruise on his lower neck which definitely, most definitely, resembled a hickey. She kept wanting to ask him about it, but he kept on and on about the Star Wars movie and how it disappointed him. Everything disappoints him. Her too. It's the biggest thing they have in common. She decides to never ask him about the hickey. Number 7. Angela. She wishes she hadn't skipped the yoga class before dinner. She aches for yoga. Even missing class while on a trip is torture. The calisthenic blending of her mind with her body with her soul, slowing her thoughts down so she can make sense of the world and its wealth of mysteries. Angela considers her family back home to be spineless, brainless, automatons who never put much consideration into a single thought about anything. Number 8. Brian His regular friends are stoners and alcoholics who call themselves artists when actually the only art to them is the reckless way they live their lives. 
at least their darkness allows him to escape his own. He plays in the same punk band as Sam, but also nurtures a solo career. A local reviewer once described him as a pretty white boy with no real problems, singing songs about how his girlfriend hurt his feelings. Number 9. Jill. She freezes you a bit when she looks at you. Number 10. David. He suffers over his restaurant menu, unable to decide. He enjoys seafood and pasta, but doesn't like eating them together. Same as he enjoys watching football and movies, but not movies about football. He's complicated. Number 11. Name unknown. The waitress is in her early 20s, wears a silver hoop ring in her left nostril and three partial parallel scars on her right forearm from where she's begun cutting herself. She wears a mandatory blue apron, but her name tag doesn't hold a name. Her boyfriend works at Walmart and she loves him, but maybe loves him a little more when he isn't drinking. She reckons she serves around a hundred customers per shift, and Lord help her, she just can't tell these people apart anymore. Gorgeous Grady. I would like to take this moment to thank my many, many fans throughout this great country, especially those of you who sent cards and letters. They helped bring me back, all of them. I mean this. I thoroughly owe the miracle of my rehabilitation to your good graces. As you may already know, Dwayne Dangerous, my next opponent, is a rematch with a man of no respect, none whatsoever and no honor. When this animal severely shredded my articular cartilage, it delivered a most deleterious disposition on my entire family. Unspeakable. Does a man such as him even comprehend what difficult times are? Imagine yours truly, a warrior of great prowess, having to convalesce when I have five kids when their very lives depend on my ability to provide them sustenance, and I cannot. Imagine being chained to three ex-wives who loathe the very fact that I continue to draw breath. Dwayne Dangerous, you were nearly successful in your attempts to humiliate me. Me, Gorgeous Grady, the greatest living professional wrestler of our time. Fortunately for my enthusiasts and me, the glory of my dominance is far from extinguished. Now, I can admit I'm not the wrestler I once was. My stomach has become somewhat spherical. My gluteus maximus could smother out the precious sunlight. But my friends, please know, I remain superior in my grappling and choking skills. My dominance is so complete that I hereby offer my opponent the opportunity to surrender. Hand that championship belt right back over to me without a struggle. Everyone already knows I am heavily favored to regain my title. I am beloved by everyone from progenies to elderlies. My vocation is conquering. Dear people, the world's heavyweight title will not only belong to me, but to each of us. I'm reaching out to you. Whoever is reading this, I want you to know my hand is touching your hand. My heart goes with your heart. We are one. Us. 
a gathering of the largest body of agreeing people in this nation, in this universe, in the lemon skate of infinity's ever-twisting figure eight. I am reaching out to you right now because of the love that was first given to me by you. I now give it back, my soul to yours. I shall never lose again. Billy from Mars On this very day, 16 years ago, I came with my family to this planet. Since then, the mortality rate has not been good. Father died in a car accident during our first year. Just couldn't learn to navigate a vehicle with wheels. Mother passed a year later. Cancer, it's called. I miss them both terribly. I miss everyone from back home. Sister dances at Lipsticks now. She swears she only dances there, but I know better. Not thrilled about it, but I mind my business. Meanwhile, I work at the sawmill pulling green chain on Route 9. It's normally a job for newbies, but I stay on it. The gravity of this planet sucks, so I need the exercise. On the rare occasion my sister takes a night off, we meet for beers at Shucky's, the dive spot with the taxidermy shark above the entrance. We meet there to speak the language of our home planet, because we need the practice, because we feel obligated. Such a hard language to explain, what, being so comparatively abstract and all. It's a nonverbal language found only in those most hushed moments around you, like the lazy ovals of a slowly swaying ceiling fan, or the clink from a jukebox as it gulps your quarter and plays that song you know but can't name. Or in the night sky, when it's so full of stars, so bright and beautiful you'll even forget, if only for a moment, the true sadness of space. <laughs> 